Welcome to Lost in Translations, I'm your host Michael and today we have a very special guest and that is translator Tina Kova who has translated many books, many books that we've talked about on this podcast already including an episode we did recently of The Little Girl on the Ice Flow by Adelaide Bond. Welcome back to Lost in Translations. I have a special guest with me today. That's translator Tina Kova. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so glad you agreed to do this. <laughs> I feel oh, like yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, we've probably talked about your translations the most on this podcast, <laughs> which is amazing. I should be thanking you really because that is really um, that's really really <laughs> flattering and great. I think if this podcast had a bingo card, Disoriental would be the center square. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, but you've uh, translated heaps of books, it seems, more than I knew. Yeah. Uh, do you want to maybe start with your background, I guess? Okay. Um, well, I so I studied French as an undergraduate, and that was at the University of Denver, which is where I'm from, Denver, Colorado, in the States. And then I, after graduation, I interned with a translation agency. And then from there, I moved to Switzerland, to the French-speaking part of the country. And I lived there for a couple of years, and I really gained my full fluency during that time. So when I came back to the States in 2001, late 2001, I just thought to myself, you know, I, I, I need to do something that with this ability that I have now. And I, I never felt particularly drawn to teaching. So, but I'd always been a, a reader, a, an insatiable reader. And also a writer. So translation was kind of the best option for somebody who yeah. was interested in language because it ticks all the boxes, all the creative boxes. I can't imagine it's an easy field to get into though. No, no, no. I mean, I've been doing this a long time. I mean, it, it really, I, it's really been a journey that has been 20 years long at this point. I started out just taking on small jobs from translation agencies, like small things, any sort of contract job they had, like um, court records and um, university transcripts, um, you know, legal documents, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I didn't actually translate my first book until 2004, and that one was self-published. Was that and, the George Stead one? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was the Black City. So that one was first self-published and then bought by an established publishing yeah. house. So that was really where the where things started to coalesce for me as a literary well, translator. Well, George Stead's probably a good place, like a great author to get as your first. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I chose her myself because I, yeah. I really enjoy her work. But also, she wrote so much, and there's still so much of it that remains untranslated. So, 
with 19th century work, I didn't have to worry about obviously copyright or the rights to publish a translation. Yeah. Um, and also I felt like it was a good project because it was also a first time translation. I, w- I wouldn't have to compare my work with anybody who came before. I, I was kind of surprised that she was your first, but she definitely needs more of her books translated, obviously. I, yeah, She's I think so great. too. Yeah, yeah. I, I need to work on maybe getting a few more of hers out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, from there I see, was it Alexander Damas, your next one? Yes. Um, yeah, I did that one for Modern Library. Yeah. And that was a huge thrill, obviously. His voice is one that we all know, you know, yeah. it's so distinctive and it's so much fun. You can just see everything happening as you read. It's incredibly vivid. So I had a great time translating that. Yeah, I know you have a distinct or unusual style of translating. Had your style been that way from the start or is this just a way you've developed your translations? <laughs> Well, I think every translator probably has their own, their own distinct style. I think, I mean, as much as you try to channel the voice of the author and no matter how successful you are in that, I think there's also a role that each individual person's personality and creative intellect play in the translation process. So each translator will have certain words, certain phrases that they would maybe go to first, you know. And I think obviously if you read a lot of translations and if you read a lot of one particular person's translations, you probably will start to hear the little minor things that are yeah. hallmarks of that person's style. I think I got into reading translations from Russian literature and there's definitely translators there that I prefer over others. Mm-hmm. And it's just their style and the way they actually go about it, I think, is very distinct. You can tell some translators, you can probably pick them up by just reading a few lines. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, I've only read three of your translations so okay. far. <laughs> but I, I I really enjoy your, the way you approach it. I heard on another interview that you don't read the books before you go into translating. Yeah, that's generally true. Obviously, when I'm choosing a project to pitch to publishing houses, that doesn't work because I need to have read the book in order to know that it's a good you know, choice for translation. But I try not to get too deep into it. Even then, I try not to do an incredibly close reading because I think the process of discovery is very important to yeah. the translator in order to keep a sense of freshness and a sense of wonder almost. I think translating without reading the book first is really a privileged form of reading because you're able to experience everything in the way that a reader would, but you're also putting it in into this other language at the same time. It's really kind of a process with two sides. So um, if I have the choice, I don't read the book first. I prefer to go into it just absolutely, you know, blind and start, start on page one and start taking the ride along with the reader. But 
yeah and in at other times i do i do read the book at least at least i skim it to get an idea of quality and writing style and flow of plot those kinds of things that must take a lot of trust with you people assigning books to you yeah well i've been really fortunate to work with publishers and editors who have trusted me to you know apply my own particular formula to the translation and so far it seems to have worked out pretty well well the ones i've read from europa i could imagine adelaide bond's book the little girl on the ice fly would have been a really difficult one to go into try to translate yeah i mean obviously that one has such heavy emotional content and on top of that it's based on something that really happened to the author so it's kind of a double whammy of um yeah you know the 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 triggering experiences that people might have as they read but also just the the pain that comes with knowing it's a true story i know when i picked that up i thought i'd be able to read that in a couple of days and ended up taking weeks and weeks just because i had to keep stepping away from it i can't imagine doing the translation being any easier but i am thankful Oh, good. Thank you. Well, I think a lot of people have said similar things to what you just said, where they had to sort of keep stopping and coming to grips with what they just read. And, uh, yeah, as a translator, it was, it was, it was, it was a very, um, intense process emotionally. And yeah, so as I was translating, um, Little Girl on the Ice Flow, I felt, um, I felt both the responsibility and the, the, you know, the privilege of translating something so intimate and that I knew would resonate with so many people. It's definitely one that needs to be in the world. Yeah. Um, can I ask about A Summer with Montaigne? Mm-hmm. That must have been a really, I haven't read it, but I can't imagine that being an easy one to translate, just dealing with philosophy and all that happening. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that one was really I'd never done anything like that before. It's it's a pretty unique little book. It's so um, you know, it's based on you know this these these 15-minute radio broadcasts that Antoine Compagnon did on French radio and it became this runaway smash hit, you know, it was, nobody expected it. I mean, he just you know, here he was going to talk for 10, 15 minutes during the summer about, you know, each day about Monta, and it just became um, really popular. And so the book is just kind of a condensation of his little radio pieces. So the voice is, is kind of unusual because it's, it's conversational in the way that a, you know, that a relatively sort of intellectual radio broadcast would be. Um, you know, but, but they really are these small bite size pieces and they're more formal language, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, I had a lot of fun doing it really. I've always really liked, uh, Montagnan to be associated with him in any way, even kind of at one remove was really fun. Yeah. I'm looking forward to reading it. I just like kind of dreading it because I know I'm going to read. A lot of it, and it's just going to go over my head. 
Well, what it'll make you want to do is go and read the essays because, yes. you know, I certainly read them again and referred back to them again and again as I was translating the book and they just reawaken all the all the you know pleasure that that the essays still bring even after all these hundreds of years i think we should discuss disoriental i think that's probably the one that won all the awards not enough but there were a few (laughs) i think i fell in love with that book it must have been such a privilege to be part of that I've been able to bring it to the English-speaking world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That I knew right away that it was, you know, a very unique book. And I, since I didn't read that one before I started translating it, I went on this journey with the heroine of the book and with her family, and I came to know them and love them in the same way that you do as you read the book. And so I just had so many emotions during the, the translation. I I loved them and I cried and I laughed and I, you know, felt so proud of Kimia. And then obviously later when I was able to meet and get to know Negar Javadi, that just added a whole new layer of admiration for me because she's an absolutely amazing person and when you meet her you immediately see the parts of her that come out on the page you know she's got this wonderful sense of humor and this incredible strength and this warmth and I think all of that is apparent in the way she writes. Well I'm hoping she writes a lot more because I definitely want to read more books from her Yes, me too. Well, she's she has apparently just finished her next book. I don't know anything about it or when it's coming out, but I'm really excited for it too. And the one I just finished reading a couple of weeks ago was Older Brother. Mm. It kind of has this. Sorry, it kind of has a similar sort of um, style, I think. In Not some ways, style, but yeah, like themes and stuff like that seem. Yeah, I just, I really appreciate that kind of, um, like, telling those stories of the refugees and stuff living in France. That's one of the things that drew me to Disoriental and mm-hmm. Older Brother. Yeah. And I, I'm really glad that they're both out there. It's, I almost wanted to put that as my favourite book of the year, even though it's January. Oh, wow. Thank you so much. <laughs> Yeah, I, that one I think is very important too. And I hope that it, it continues to attract more and more attention because, you know, I, given the times that we're living through, I think it's so incredibly important to acknowledge the fact that there are these broad sections of Western society who are just trying to live their lives the way we all do, but they're dealing yeah. with intense amounts of deeply ingrained social prejudice and the deck is stacked against them in a lot of ways no matter what no matter what they do and no matter um, how they try to live their lives so when you can read about these these lives and these experiences that maybe you'd never even thought about before or you'd never have the opportunity to witness firsthand but when Mm -hmm. you can read about them in 
these wonderful novels that are written in such an accessible way. They're funny, they're tender, they're heartbreaking. They really drive home the point that we're all the same, you know, in a way that the images put out there by the media of screaming crowds and protests and a very, very narrow slice of life, you know, don't convey. I did a stint as a taxi driver, so there was a lot there that kind of, (laughs) that whole debating between Uber and taxis that just (laughs) still going, it seems. Yeah, very timely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I have a question related to that book, and you don't have to answer it if you don't want. Okay. But have you read a book called Revenge of the Translator? It's a French book. No. Do you know, it's it's on my, it's in my TBR pile. And, um, yeah. And I, but I haven't actually read it. Emma Ramadan did the translation into English. Oh. And basically this translator is like taking over the story where at times he cuts out things, at times he rewrites them and stuff like that. Have you ever been tempted to do anything like that? Mm, I mean, I've been, <laughs> I think every translator is tempted from time to time. Um, but I've been so lucky with my authors that I haven't really, you know, I think there's a, there's always been a level of respect yeah. for me. Uh, even, you know, as I'm translating, even if I, um, haven't met them yet or had any communication with them, there's generally, I have so much respect for people who craft a story from beginning to end, you know, out of nothing but their own creativity. Yeah. Well, just after reading that book, you wonder about a translator. If they could, would they change something? Yeah. I'll have to Remove read it, especially. <laughs> I'm a big fan of uh, I'm a big fan of Emma Ramadan's work, so um, yeah, she's I yeah, I'll have to I have to move it up up the <laughs> list. It's just an interesting thought because uh, I read a lot of translations. It's don't really think about the process enough. I don't think got behind it, mm. and I think there's a lot there. Like it is an art form, and what you're yeah. doing is trying to bring it to life to a new audience but yeah. I, I just wonder like there are times where you think oh I wish I could change something <laughs> like yes, especially when I'm reading <laughs> of but, course of course I, I yeah I mean I think um even after you've done it and even after you've made every possible choice that you think is the best choice it's like it's like watching yourself on tv I suppose or hearing your own a recording of your own voice, there are always things you'd go back and change in in your translation. But yeah, of course, of course. I mean, you know, it's like a good example for me is that I always think when I'm reading Jane Austen's Mansfield Park, I would end the book totally differently than the way she ended it. Yeah. And um, I think a lot of people probably feel that way about Mansfield Park. And apparently even her own sister felt that way. And thought that Fanny Price and Henry Crawford should end up together and she should redeem him and save him. And um, yeah, you could be put in a unique position to do that kind of thing if you were given the license as a translator. Yeah. Oh, just make whatever changes you want. <laughs> It'd be an interesting experiment anyway. 
yeah, think about it every time I read something. It's like they should have removed that or added Mm -hmm. some more. (laughs) Yeah. Are there any other of your translations that you would recommend to me or the listeners? There's so many. Well, it depends what you like because I really have done a very wide kind of of things. One thing that I think anybody who's in the mood for sort of a a quick read and a fun one sort of likes black humor and murder mysteries would probably really enjoy the beauty of the death cap. Oh, yeah. Uh, if you, especially if you like the Russians and if you're a fan of Nabokov, um, I think you would enjoy it especially because the voice of the narrator in The Beauty of the Death Cap is very reminiscent to me of the narrator of Pale Fire. Yeah, so I, would, I am a fan. <laughs> yeah, so I would definitely recommend uh, The Beauty of the Death Cap for a fun read. Two books that I translated way back in 2007 and 2008, they're called Cosmos Incorporated and Grand Junction. They're by a French author called Maurice Dantec, who unfortunately has passed away, but they're kind of dystopian cyberpunk um, science fiction, very unusual. And if you're into that sort of thing, I think they're a great read. Um, and even if you're not into it, I mean, they're really good. They're good stories. And I think a lot of people would enjoy them. And I would always urge people to read the 19th century stuff that I've done as well, especially one that came out a couple of years ago now. It's a translation of a book called Manette Solomon. And that was the first English translation of the book. Um, it was written by uh, Edmund and Jules de Goncourt, um, who were are famous for having left money for the Goncourt Prize, which is a French um, prize for, for fiction. But they also were diarists, and they were very hooked into the French, the Parisian social scene of the 18... Uh, 60s and 70s, and they wrote six novels, and uh, very few of those have been translated. So uh, Manette Solomon had not been translated previously, but it's just an amazing, vivid, you know, depiction of the Parisian art world of the late 19th century. And yeah, it's just a, it's a great read. So the Goncourt Prize, that sounds familiar to me. It's a big uh, French literary prize. Probably, it's the biggest one. It's the biggest one. It's the biggest one, I would say. Um, the reason it might sound familiar to you, sort of off the top of your head, is that uh, older brother won oh, yeah. the Goncourt Prize for a debut novel in twenty eighteen. I think. Yeah. That that's probably why it was so yeah. fresh in my mind. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was that prize or another prize that older brother won. Yeah, yeah, it was the Goncourt. There are several categories, so that was the one yeah. that it won. So your all your books kind of connect almost, <laughs> all your translations. Uh, yeah, a lot of them have um, have things that yeah that kind of link them, which is which is neat if you think about it. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Are you working on any others you can talk about, or they're all secret? So I am actually between projects at the moment. I have a few things that I'm, you know, very excited about that I'm still looking for publishing houses for. One is called 
well, the English title would be Mediterranean Wall. Uh, and the, um, the author is, um, a man called Louis Philippe, uh, Dornenberg. He's Haitian. And this past year, he won the Prix de la Langue Française, which is the French language prize. He's the first Haitian author to win it. And it's a story about, um, Four immigrant women from the Middle East and Africa who choose to leave their home countries for various reasons, and it's about their journey to the West. Very important book about just what what brings people to uh, the point where they choose, you know, to abandon their families and the lives they've grown up with, and strike out on a very hazardous wrenching uh and sometimes you know physically you know exhausting and dangerous journey to to build a new life in in europe so that is a book that i certainly hope will find a publisher uh and also i'm working on um finding someone who uh, wants to pick up the rights to a book called uh, Spring in Tehran, which is actually nonfiction. Uh, that's written by a French-Iranian uh, journalist called Armin uh, Arefi. And um, he was one of the only Western journalists or the only Western journalist invited to kind of enter Iran uh, after Ahmadinejad left. And he's traveling throughout the country, portraying the lives of average people in the everyday lives of average people in Iran in the last few years. And especially given the incredibly unfortunate global political circumstances right now, I think it's more important than ever for people to have a look at what life is really like in Iran and what the people of Iran are really like. And they're just, you know, relatable and they're wonderful people and he tells a lot of beautiful stories about people from a wide range of socioeconomic backgrounds and they're stories that need to be available to a wider audience so those are my two pet projects at the moment <laughs> well both of them sound awesome i yeah. definitely want to read both of them so hopefully <laughs> they do get publishers yeah yeah i hope so for sure uh, the and, the uh, French publishing agency is um, handling the rights to both of those. So if anybody's in, any, sorry, if anybody's interested, uh, they can go to the French uh, uh, publishers agency website, and uh, which is that's actually what it's called. And then there's more information about each book there, as well as samples of the books in, uh, that I've translated into English. Awesome. Hopefully they get picked up. Thanks. And I guess I have to order those books from Snuggly Books, the ones you mentioned. Uh, yes, that's right, actually. The, so The Beauty of the Death Cap and uh, Manette Solomon are both out from Snuggly Books. And the two uh, cyberpunk sci-fi books were out from Del Rey Ballantine, but you can get yeah. them on any virtual bookseller. Yeah, well, Del Rey's kind of known for their genre stuff so yeah hopefully they'll be easy to track down yes they should be they should be i definitely have to read more of your books 
<laughs> I, I really enjoy what I've read, so I'm looking forward to reading more. Oh, thanks. And thanks very much. It's great to hear thank that you. stuff. <laughs> thank you for agreeing to be on the podcast and talking oh, about the book. Yeah, my pleasure. Absolutely. And thank you so much for, you know, helping to draw attention to translated literature because it's, um, you know, it's a really exciting time to be in the industry right now. And people like you and Helen Vassallo of Translating Women, you know, are doing, I think, the English language readers of the world such a favor by, by you know, putting the word out about all the incredible literature that's available in translation. So thank you. Yeah, well, it's just so much of it. It's yeah. hard to keep up with it all. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's an exciting time. I hope it continues. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I feel like it's on the verge of just breaking out into something huge. Yeah. And I'm really I'm looking forward to, to that. Yeah, me too. All right. I will leave links to your books mentioned and your social media, Twitter. People should follow you. Okay, great. You've always got interesting things to say. <laughs> I do try. Right. <laughs> I do have a question unrelated to books. Oh, yeah. How do you steam an egg? Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. Uh, it's, it's, hey, you know, I just learned myself and, um, well, I, I just used a little metal rack that I, that I had and I, I just put it in a big pot and you just, um, put it over like an inch of water yeah. and put, but you could use a steaming, like a vegetable steaming basket if you have one of those. Yeah. yeah I recommend it. <laughs> it makes really good eggs. <laughs> I did ask my wife and she wasn't sure either, so <laughs> uh, <laughs> thought I'd ask. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, and my pleasure. Look forward to reading more from you. Thanks very much. I'll, I'll look forward to hearing your next reviews. <laughs> I need to write more reviews. I'm getting stuck on that. <laughs> uh, it's hard to find the time, isn't it? Yeah, too busy reading. Exactly. All right, thank you, and goodbye. All right, thank you. Thanks, bye. If you want to support Lost in Translations, please go to patreon.com forward slash translationspod and all money there will help support the show. And please remember to subscribe, and while subscribing, please rate the show. This will help others find the podcast. All our links to social media are in the show notes and you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and Let's See under Translations Pod. Thank you for listening. This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Wolgarukaba and Bindal people. We acknowledge their ownership of this land and all the traditional owners in Australia and acknowledge their care of the land. This is a Macaulay Flower production. <laughs>